everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week's interview is in is a dream come true. Dream come true. I'm talking with Tim Booth, frontman for James. I love James. I know a lot of you love James. What's not to love? This band has the ability to just, as they say, and as my friends say, change your tectonic plates. Their ability to be powerful and passionate and groovy and uh, inspiring and bring you peace and happiness and love and joy is so strong. Unlike, I mean, above and beyond what a lot of other bands are capable of. And what you're going to find in this conversation with Tim is that that is not an accident. In fact, calling these guys a pop group doesn't feel right after listening to this conversation because that's not what they're after. It's not about pop songs. It's about transcendence. It's about taking you to another place, another plane where goodness exists. Anyway, you'll have to listen to this and tell me what you think. We get into all the deep topics on here. God, religion, drugs, music, all of it is discussed in here very openly because Tim is an open book and he's very transparent about what he is trying to achieve through his art. And I love him for that. Uh, They have a brand new album coming out this weekend called All the Colors of You. Maybe I'm not supposed to say this. It's probably my, it's definitely my favorite James album of the second iteration. You know, they broke up in the late 90s for a little while and then eventually got back together. Tim went and did some solo stuff during that time. Of the second iteration of James, this album is probably my favorite. And like their last album as well, they are touching on a lot of the themes that are very prominent in our world today. A lot of them relating to Trump, a lot of them relating to politics and the state of the world and where we are right now, hanging on the precipice of going right straight down the toilet. And uh, James and Tim specifically nail this moment in a beautiful way, but also in a hopeful way. They speak to that tension better than most bands bands can. So we get it really into the in in depth into what the thinking is behind some of these songs, what his frame of mind is today. I don't know how much you know about Tim, but you're going to learn a lot about where he's coming from, his upbringing. He died once. What he learned during that period of time, uh, how they come up with their art. This conversation is fascinating. If you can't tell, I'm super, super passionate about it. All right, check out All the Colors of You. Give this a listen. There are so many James songs that are wonderful. We couldn't get to them all, but my favorite is probably this one, Born of Frustration. So I kick it off asking him about that. By the way, I don't know where he lives. I was told he was in Costa Rica. I think he lives in LA, but was visiting Costa Rica. But when we did this, I asked him and he, he didn't give me a straight answer. I think they're floating right now, as he says, all right? So I can't tell you. Anyway, check it out. Um, so first and foremost, before we get to anything else, I have to ask you the question that I have wanted to ask Tim Booth for almost 30 years now. Born of Frustration is one of my favorite songs of all time. And the thing I love about it is that there are these unique accents to it, like Tarzan yodeling and horns that uh, seem to come out of the blue. And I want you to tell me how 
you cre- created Board of Frustration. Please. God. Um, that, that means I have to um, <laughs> try and use my memory, which is never the most reliable of tools. I mean, you know, James, this is around the Seven album, and we were very improvisational. We have a fantastic trumpet player. So, you know, he came up with his own great line and we were like, oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of, I think about three three or four of us improvised that song, mm-hmm. uh, the root of the song. Then we played it back to the others. And then the others at that point would play along and come up with their own parts. And if we liked them, we would include them in that, in the, that section. And we would just keep building. And we were always into that. That song had a lot of good parts, so that's why it ended up being quite long and a bit more elaborate than what you would expect from a normal single. Who came up with the Tarzan part? Was that you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when we improvise, I will try all kinds of craziness. Uh, the improvisations are the root of all James songs. Every song we've ever written is a group of us improvising. Now it's four of us. And it's the most fragile and delicate and beautiful part of the process, really, even more than any other part, really, even playing live. It's like four people in a room with nothing pre-planned, start a drum machine just so we can have something to edit the song to later, a beat that's regular. And we start jamming. And we'll jam for six hours um, a day and we'll do maybe uh, up to three weeks of that. Um, from that, we, we kind of then comb through it and make an album. And I think that's the really the key to our freshness because nobody controls the songwriting. The songs morph and move. Any one of those four people in the room might come up with some great part that everybody else responds to. Mm-hmm. And so the song shifts sideways mm-hmm. when you think, you think you know where it's going and suddenly it will go off left. Mm-hmm. And that's the exciting thing that we, yeah. don't con- we don't control it. There's a third thing in the room. I love that. You know, there's me, there's the guys, and then there's the unit of us all. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's just thrilling. Yeah. Um, and we don't know how it happens it's magical to us it is and this the zone we get into when we're doing that is so oh, tangible and just you know a high point of one's life yeah yeah, yeah. i you know it's interesting i've always heard that about you guys that the so many of your songs are born out of this improvisation and jamming, but I had youth on here about six months ago, your producer, you know, and we talked about seven, the album seven and born of frustrations. And he sort of refuted that a little bit. He said that things, it wasn't quite that, I don't know, open-ended. He said, you know, you guys came with more plans and I, that surprised me. That was not what I had always heard or imagined about James, but uh, we we don't include producers in that beginning. Um, So then we, uh, each of the four members who jam can then take away and start doing demos of the jams. And then they're kind of in charge of that. 
Um, and they will change and people will come up with better ideas. And, you know, you suddenly have you know, my demo suddenly turns into something else, you know, because Mark put did something better on it than I had. So we, we kind of all pass them around and then we bring the producer in. So okay. youth saw only saw our music at a later stage. Got it. That makes sense. Okay, now I understand. That confirms what I thought. Okay, let's talk about all the colors of you. You lay on a sofa smoking weed nearly <laughs> all day throughout that record. And it was like, and we weren't accustomed to a producer who didn't really get involved in that way. And it was like, you know, he put up, he made the studio look great. He had all these all these Moroccan carpets and I'll hang them on the walls and I'll make a really great vibe. <laughs> he made a great vibe and then kind of left us to it. And, and Spike was the engineer who, um, I, I've forgotten his real name, but he's known. Mark in the Spike Stent, right? Mark Stent, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he really, he held a lot of that record together because <laughs> he was a brilliant up and coming engineer who uh -huh. made sure he got recorded really well. That's so in keeping with youth. When I talked to him, yeah, we were, it, it happened about six hours late and um, we were on Zoom like this and he just went from, he had his little Altoid tin box that was full of seeds. And so he just was, you know, smoking one blunt after another the entire time and his cats kind of walking around through the shot and over his head. And all. anyway, he it was a trip, but that mind of his uh, is just there's the music that comes out of that mind is some of my yeah. very favorite, you know, He's I love it. He's a riot. It's really fun. He is. So on the, uh, all the colors of you album, which I have to say, Tim, it's probably my favorite James album of the second part of your career. You know what I mean? <laughs> this chapter two. Yes. <laughs> I love it. And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting is even though this album is kind of a lockdown, lockdown album is probably the wrong word, but so many of the songs relate to what we're going through right now. It almost sounded a little bit more hopeful than living in extraordinary times, which seemed maybe a little bit angrier. And, and I thought, well, there's no way that James could have, James the band obviously, could have written and recorded all the colors just in the last few months since we got rid of the tan guy, but what's the, am I totally misreading this? Were you, are you guys not as optimistic as it sounds? No. Um, you know, living in extraordinary times was written lyrically as the tan guy was uprising. And I saw a potential fascist and a deep threat to American democracy. Mm -hmm. And I live in America, you know, I'm an American citizen and it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I, I was really scared um, and angry that this con man could, yeah. uh, this cult leader yeah. could be, could be voted in by so many people, mm -hmm. uh, this racist, mm -hmm. sexist. I mean, you could, the list goes Keep on. Going. It's true. I mean, you can, you can really go to town on it if you want. And so that was, in a sense, more terrifying. The pandemic, you know, lockdown, it's such a global situation. And also humans, we, we needed a kick up the ass with climate change. And um, 
you know, and I can say that, you know, I lost my father-in-law whom I loved. We all loved. So we had the tragedy of COVID, but there were also some really amazing positive things. Everybody was made to stop and check out your own life. What's going on? You know, if you're in relationship, everyone had to go deeper because suddenly you're really in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're on your own, you really had to learn how to live more on your own and, you know, without going crazy. So everybody has been tested. And I'm, I'm somebody who quite likes being tested. I kind of, and, and I, I just also accept when life says we have to go left, you, the, the right response is you have to kind of go, okay, we have to surrender to this. There's a lesson here. Yeah. Um, there's no accidents. So my response, I think, and James's response, a lot of members in James has been, you know, you find the positive and you work with it and you dance yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the records got highs and lows of emotional reactions of people finding resources in themselves. Also, I think the way we've reacted to lockdown shows us how we can react to climate change, which until, until this happened, I didn't think we had a chance uh, of a unified global reaction to us destroying the planet. And now I go, well, the model's there. If we yeah. can't, if we can't repeat that for global destruction, mm-hmm. then we were too stupid to live mm-hmm. and we, we deserve to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the model now has been put down and we can see how we can change our lives on a global scale. A couple of things about that. Number one, I had heard about your father-in-law. I also mm-hmm. lost my father to COVID over the holidays, which is a shame because my parents, despite being Trumpers, unfortunately, were being very careful and wearing their masks and stuff like that. And it happened anyway. So I can, uh, I can empathize with you on that. It's a byproduct of this chaotic time in our lives that shouldn't be, but yet it is. And so we have to adjust. And anyway, the point of me saying that is that I feel like there's a glint of hope or uh, as I mentioned, there's a bit of empathy in this new album of yours that I, first of all, you guys do emotional music better than just about anybody. I want James soundtracking those moments in my life when I got to run faster, run further, whatever it is. James is the one to do that. Speaking of which, Born of Frustration and Sound are on my running playlist on my iPod. And they still, I still, those are my favorite things to get down to. Another
anyway. Are the, are the new songs at too high a tempo for you then, huh? No, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I just got the new album the other day, but it's going to be worked out. It's going to be on there too. But uh, no, those uh, those sound and uh, and frustration both hit my my kind of my biorhythm when I run just perfectly. Let's talk about a couple of these songs. So obviously, all the colors of you, the title track. Everybody's in there. What we can't escape Every time we're through Your shit sticks to my shoe Tell me how you stay insane Haven't hugged a human since the end of May Quarantine with you Our world's a private zoo We're stuck in this You know, who's more woke than who comparing our president to the K- our former president, former guy to the KKK. You talk about the band writing in these jam sessions. Are these free? Are, how, how deep in advance are you writing down lyrics about hot topics, current events that are inspiring you? Are you coming up with them in the moment? How does that even work for you? When we improvise the initial songs, I get some lyrics and there are, I, I'm, I'm doing phonetic sounds a lot of the time, but then lyrics will break through. And when I go back and listen to them, I go, oh, and I start writing them down and they often dictate what the song has to be about. There'll be something so striking in the initial jam. I'm fairly sure I had, um, he's the Ku Klux Klan, he's the Ku Klux Klan right from the start cuckoo cuckoo and i remember like a year ago showing my family my family going you can't sing that it it for a start it sounds too light and joyful (laughs) to be singing about something so serious and i was like this is the lyric i got and i i gotta gotta sing this including the coup line c-o-u-p which i didn't understand and then, of course, he, 
he had an attempted coup and uh, six months after i'd recorded that lyric and written it so i i have to just trust my process and trust my unconscious you know it's always about the unconscious for me the conscious tim is not that bright and very ordinary and a bit of an idiot (laughs) but my unconscious taps into the universal unconscious and it brings back words and meanings and wisdom that shocks me sometimes mm-hmm. and really has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, most of my life has been spent trying to get into the unconscious. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in a meditation, really a monk from about the age of 21, meditating two hours every day, 16 hours every weekend, mm-hmm. celibate, no alcohol, no drugs wow. for three and a half years. Wow. So that was my launch pad. I'd been very sick in my teens and I, I died when I was 21, stopped breathing in hospital, was revived and had to throw myself into alternative medicine because Western medicine had nothing for me. They said that was, I had a liver disease inherited and there was nothing they could do. And uh, I was very sick. So it forced me into alternative medicine. Um, and into a kind of looking for my own spirituality amongst with, I couldn't take drugs. I couldn't take alcohol. Mm-hmm. So it was all about dancing, shamanistic dancing for days and days and days, weeks. The longest I did was a month every day, five, really? hours, five six hours a day, finding ways to get into the zone yeah. without stimulants. And then about six years ago, which is, influenced living extraordinary times and this record i discovered psychedelics with therapy and working with shamans indigenous shamans in peru and had my mind blown because with my with my meditation i could join that together that that backbone of of discipline i'd learned with meditation i could then work with in in therapy and using medicines that have been used by indigenous people for thousands of years. So these Um, are all natural psychedelics? Pretty much. I also have a ketamine prescription right now that I'm playing with, that I'm experimenting with. Uh, All all in terms of, you know, using meditation and uh, actually working with, um, I don't know if you know of a guy called Joe Dispenza. He wrote a book called You Are the Placebo. It's a really great study on the placebo Mm. and he has some great guided meditations uh, and I use those with with a ketamine prescription Mm. and find that they are really quite really that's a a winning combination yeah yeah Um, and this helps influence your creativity this helps you find the zone to write music to write lyrics to create I mean I've always been able to get in the zone through meditation or dance and that's helped my lyric writing always and made it be more unconscious. Mm-hmm. I, when we used to record in real world, Peter Gabriel used to come up and say, you know, how are you doing, Tim? You know, how's, how's the writing going? And I go, great. You know, I wrote two, two lyrics today and two songs today, you know, and I go, how's it going, Peter? How's your record going? And he'd be like, well, it took me a year to write that lyric. And it took me a year to write this lyric. And I'd be like, oh, shit, man. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. 
And Peter used to just take ages writing yeah. lyrics. And I love his lyrics, great lyric yeah. writer, but different different style to me. And um, and I will, I can work on a lyric for months and a year, I have been known as well. So they don't all come like that. But I'm generally, my best lyrics are the ones that come pretty easily and quickly. Mm. And the ones that take a year are not as good as the ones that <laughs> Don't come. overthink it. <laughs> we overthink it. You know, That's right. Yeah. The, yeah. I, the conscious, you know, I, I, the, the ego is not that impressive. Personally, my ego is not that impressive. Right. But my unconscious is really exciting. That's great. Um, speaking of lyrics, I got to ask you about Miss America too, because that's another um, kind of hyper political song on the album. Miss America's wearing thin. She's all tiaras and glamour. Can't stop the boss from keeping his hands off. It's all snakes, no ladder. Miss America says live the dream So long as you're born white Killed the natives and jailed the slaves Move more to the right May God bless you and your golden sons. May God bless you and your love of guns. May God bless you and your passion for freedom. Soul to the man with the time. I really there's, love. There's, there's two songs that still reference the tanned one, but not really in a big way. And I really tried to make sure he wasn't on this record. You know, um, there's, there's only three or four on living in extraordinary times. Right. Um, but yeah, Miss America. I, I like that metaphor because it was the beauty pageant, Miss America, yeah. but it was, so I'm probably leaving America. So it's, miss america um mm. as a pun so it just became this theme that i could sing about miss america and it would have more than one layer mm-hmm. and again it came out of the unconscious and then of course you're writing about miss america and and you realize that trump of course ran those pageants yeah. so i couldn't help but get a line in that's so good I maybe two lines in that song that are <laughs> a dig at him true the rest the rest is more about the shallowness of that culture and and the culture of beauty and the culture of capitalism. It's more about it is. You know, the shallowness of, of the culture that we live in. Yeah. The thing that you going back to talking about a coup and then a coup happening, of course, there's always gun violence in America, but your that line, may God bless you and your love of guns, passion for freedom sold to the man with the tan. It, uh, I think it last week we had half a dozen, you know, gun violent outbreaks in America. I think 67 people died of gun violence last week or something like that. 
Now that happens to us a lot because we have idiotic gun laws. But again, going back to the presciousness of you being in the zone, writing these songs and these songs being evergreen in their topicality is really fascinating to me. Do you sense that among your, uh, within yourself? It sounds like you might. Oh yeah. The lyrics have always often been prophetic for me in my own life. I've written about things and gone, what the hell is this about? <laughs> and then literally the, the year, the, the week it comes out, the thing will reveal itself to me, what I was writing about. And I'm talking about intense things, like uh, I wrote on Girl at the End of the World, took a risk and wrote about somebody dying in a car crash and I took a risk because you know in my family my family know that yeah, it's be careful I have to be careful what I write about because they can come true for me or my friends and I thought I could write about it because I in my mind in my imagination I'd seen the car crash happening in Topanga and we were leaving Topanga I thought for good but what happened was after about four months, we went back to Topanga and the song hadn't been released. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, this is really scary. And sure enough, you know, the week of the song's, re the song's release, if it gets chosen as a single, it's even more likely to then manifest. Wow. Um, we were in a, a massive car crash on the, yeah. in, in the 60 miles an hour in LA on the freeway in five lanes of traffic. You know, my family were not happy about me <laughs> letting that lyric yes. go out. You're a um, soothsayer. This is crazy. We had an album. We called it Whiplash. And on the fifth gig of that tour, I ruptured two discs in my neck and was disabled for two and a half years. Um, so, you know, I have to be careful. Um, the, we called the next album Millionaires. Uh -huh. So I, I've been aware of this process for a long time of if I trust the unconscious, it will tell me much more than I know. Uh, you know, I'll write a song. I wrote a song called Dear John a few albums back about separating from your partner. So long, our lives entwined like a healing. 
both me and my wife got very worried about what this meant, you know. And then it, then it happened to somebody else around us. So you know, it was it it, it it's like it isn't always about me. It's yeah. but it's something about the people in my inner circle. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, okay, I want to press on that a little bit further in a second, but before I do, I did have some questions for you. You've alluded to this. So there are several, the, the topic of God comes up in a lot of James songs. So there's Sit Down, which is one of the most joyous, happy songs ever. You know, I hope that God exists. I hope I pray. And then there's something like live a love of life where you say, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. As, I don't believe Jesus is a human being. Where do you stand spiritually, Tim? <laughs> um, I'm very content where I stand spiritually, but it's a personal thing. And therefore, and I'd never try and convert anyone. I was brought up very strong Christian, I had to go to church seven days a week um, at my school. My father was a strong Christian. I kind of rejected that around about 17. I was sick 
from the age of about 12 till 21, died. The experience of dying was beautiful and peaceful. And when I, I was quite resentful of being revived by the nurse who made me breathe. And um, I was, came round and was still sick. I couldn't walk upstairs. And I gave myself a year to find proof of the existence of some meaning to life, or I was going to go. You can see today I'm a bit yellow. Uh, so still my liver sometimes gives me trouble. I've just been getting over a cold. So I, I, I was so jaundiced in my teen years that they called me chinky at school, uh, but no adult diagnosed it. So no one saw that I was ill, wow. but jaundice has a real negative frame of mind that goes with it. And I thought I was mad and that I would eventually get put in a psychiatric hospital. It, when, when I got to 30 and hadn't been in a psychiatric hospital, I, we, we had a celebration. So that illness forced me into really finding my own answers mm. and finding my own proof. And I found them. The first lot all came through meditation, then a lot through dance and entering trance states, finding ways to enter trance states on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Mm. So I can tap into this world and other, other realities really quite consistently. Yeah. Um, I'm a trained therapist. Yeah. Uh, and I teach, I've taught people going into trance states through dancing for 26 years mm. um, in classes uh, wherever I live, you know, hundreds of 150 classes in LA and mm. where I've lived. So it's, it's an ongoing thing I do. Then, then also boosting the meditation with psychedelics has been in the last five years, in my 50s, you know, it's a, been a very interesting uh, addition That's to amazing. all that. You, um, um, no way would I recommend psychedelics without, uh, I, I think it's with the therapeutic guidance is hmm. the, is the, the thing I'm really impressed by. Psychedelics can take people very much down the wrong route yeah. and be very explosive in a damaging way, of course. But I'm very excited by, you know, they're going to be legalized. This, yeah. this, these therapeutic tools, which are revolutionary, yeah. um, are about to become legal. I've been, that's become a hot topic. Is it uh, Michael Pollan? Is he the yeah. food writer who wrote a book a couple of years ago about yeah. his experience on psychedelics and how they can work therapeutically, like you're saying? He tapped into a network up in Berkeley uh, that had been training uh, therapists who've been training themselves and using those medicines uh, for years. Mm -hmm. And um, I was lucky enough by complete accident to tap into the same network because mm -hmm. we moved up to Berkeley. Um, oh, really? Yeah, when, when we tried to move just for three months, but it was okay. long enough for me to make some contacts that uh -huh. have, have remained. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, starting to gain ground, much like you know, um, marijuana is as well for being, having its medicinal purposes. It's sounding like, um, hallucinogenics are as well. Good for you. Where are you living today? You've alluded to the fact of moving out of California or at least LA a couple of times. Are you in Costa Rica? 
we lived there for three months to try it out. We're going back probably in September, but um, we're, we're floating at the moment. Um, okay. Really looking to see uh, how climate change, where it where it looks like it's going to be possible to live, mm-hmm. because California doesn't look sustainable to me anymore. You know, we were living with bags packed by the door for three, four months in the year, um, and we were getting fire alerts every week in our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, because also the infrastructure is so awful here that electrical fires were breaking out in people's homes effortlessly, you know, thanks Edison um, <laughs> and um, uh, in the neighborhood. So it's like, this is not sustainable. You know, I can't believe the infrastructure is so bad. I'm so glad yeah. that Biden is wanting to do a massive overhaul of it because America America's infrastructure is, is third world. Yeah. At best. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you've mentioned too, I keep wanting to go back to this. When you talk about almost, almost dying or dying, what did you almost die of? They said at the time, it's as if you had a hepatitis C. It was, you know, I was jaundiced and sick and taken to hospital and they did a biopsy and I stopped breathing and the machines went off and a nurse came in and made me breathe. Oh. Wow. And you caught a glimpse, you had a vision of what comes next or a feeling at least. It was more like the peace. It was such peace and it, it was beautiful and a relief. And I saw it, you know, when my mom died in my arms about seven years ago, God, and I wrote the song moving on about that experience because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was so obviously a birth. Yeah. Um, and you know, my mum's in contact with me quite a lot. And it's like, you know, they're just indifferent. <laughs> we just yeah. can't see them. You know, yeah. our, our, our tools of perception, our senses are very narrow range. So to me, it's always been about how do you broaden your yeah. broadband? How do you, yeah. how do you expand your frequencies? Yeah. Um, speaking of dancing too, did I read right? Was the original intent when you joined James to be kind of just a dancer like Bez is they, to the happy Mondays. They saw me dancing. And this was like, obviously like six years before Bez, it, Bez was just a glint in Sean Ryder's eye. Um, <laughs> and they, the, the, the guys who were 16 year olds who'd stolen their instruments and could hardly play um, saw me dancing in a, in a club. I was throwing myself around like I do. And uh-huh. um, they asked me if I'd dance for their band. Uh-huh. And, and the following weekend, I ended up, we ended up supporting Orange Juice. And I oh, was I love them. Singing backing vocals, shaking a tambourine nervously and, and dancing my ass off in Sheffield. Wow. Yeah, I, that kind of, that really struck me because your voice <laughs> feels like it's been tailor-made forever to be the front man of a rock band. And oh, so God. to, I, I, I really disagree. And, and really? It, I didn't like my voice for a good seven years. Uh, uh, I would say I'm a, probably a dancer first, or maybe a lyricist first with dancer and then a singer. You know, I hear, I listen to great singers and I'm like, I'm flawed oh. <laughs> and, and I'm jealous. You know, it's yeah. like, I, I, I like my voice. Uh, it's, I like its honesty and it's uh-huh. naked, 
but you know yeah. <laughs> I, I, oh. I don't see it in like that like that thank you oh, that's, that's fascinating to me because yeah it just feels like it's the one of the most natural you know you know you're listening to tim booth whenever you hear that voice it's so expressive i love it um Okay, I wanted to ask you if we don't mind. I, can I, See, I I'm, not, ask, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a good thing at all. <laughs> oh come on! What? <laughs> well, there are many of us who love you. Well, the the thing is about voices. Anyway, I don't. I, I mean, it took me seven years to to even like my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like my voice now, and I like how it's getting. I'm able to shout and scream a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian Eno used to say, "Oh, you're a crooner," mm-hmm. and I. I was in the nineties. If I ever tried screaming, I couldn't sing the next day, but now I can scream more. And you can see on this record, I, I have, mm-hmm. scream, I have some good screams. Mm-hmm. I had, I had a great moment in the nineties with uh, black Francis of the Pixies mm. um, backstage with him trying to teach me how to scream without, <laughs> you know, he was taught, he told me by a Puerto Rican chef uh, when he was working in some kitchens and no uh, I was, he had the best scream. Yes, wow. he does. He had the best scream. Wow. So, you know, uh, that was a good moment. <laughs> I remember in the 90s. That's great. Oh, man, I would love to be in that room listening to you and Frank talk about screaming. That would be so much fun. Okay. Uh, you know, before I, I want to ask you some specifics about songs and albums, because I'm a huge fan and I've we've some of my friends and Pantheon supporters have also sent in some things, but you, t- you know, this, do you view your music and your approach to your music and James's music and whatever as part of your overall, it's almost like you're on a mission to, I don't know, find peace and bring peace, be a, be a source of peace. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like you just nailed me. <laughs> and I'm not sure I want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, no, no, I, it, it's one of those things where it's like, well done. Good shot. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yes, there's some real truth in what you say. It's not something I've always been totally conscious of. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, the story for me, and I've repeated this story too often. I was 16 at an English boys Victorian boarding school and my mum rang me one night and said my dad was having an operation that night and he probably wouldn't live. And I couldn't go home. I lived too, I was too far away and I'm 16. I think my dad's going to die and I'm, you know, lights out at 10 o'clock, silence at 10.30 in this kind of military oppressive school and i'm i'm sick as a parrot i'm bright yellow <laughs> and uh, i'm not gonna sleep so i sneak down through the corridors past the guards um past the prefects with torches who are out trying to catch boys out of their beds and uh i come into my study and i put on a cassette that i'd only vaguely heard and i press play and i hear his father died and left him alone on that New England farm. All the long black funeral cars left the scene and the boy was just standing there. It was as if someone had spread butter on all the fine points of the stars because when he looked up, they started to slip. And I hear... (sighs) 
I hear Patti Smith singing Birdland. And it devastated me. Yeah. In all the right ways. Yeah. Um, it was like somebody reaching out to a 16-year-old boy who felt so alone. And I think that was the seed of me wanting to become a singer. Wow. I didn't know it at the time. That wasn't conscious. It, it was only later where I realized that a lot of the music I seemed to be making was reaching out to people and trying to tell people that it will be okay. Yeah. Uh, and that you're not alone. So it wasn't conscious. Uh, because I think if it's conscious, it sounds a little patronizing, mm -hmm. but it didn't come from that place. No. Um, and it, you know, I do see the whole thing as being a spiritual adventure. Yeah. The whole of my life, it, my relationships, my relationship with my family, my kids, my wife, my creativity. It's yeah. all. This isn't the one life. There's lots of them and they all interreact. And you never stop learning. And if you don't go to face things in your life, face your shadow, it will come and get you anyway. Mm. Um, so you may as well walk towards it, which is, yeah. to, to me, that's probably the definition of spirituality is just walking towards the things that a lot of people don't want to walk towards. Because the word spirituality is a horrible word. It's so snobby. It has a sense of hierarchy, of superiority. So I really don't like it at all, mm. but it's more about how can you unwind yourself to find out uh, the deeper truths mm -hmm. that are lying in all of us? Mm -hmm. um, how can you broaden your, your frequency spectrum? Mm -hmm. So to me, they're technologies. Mm. I, I, I use the word technology quite a lot because it, it's less pompous. Mm. I use the technology of meditation I use the technology of dance to get into the flow states. I like that. Um, I love that book, Stealing Fire. I've forgotten mm -hmm. the author's name. Uh, it's about flow states. Yeah. And he, he writes about flow states in, you know, in sports, in art, in psychedelics, in the military, um, you know, and it's really good little comprehensive study of flow states. Mm. And uh, I think that's almost a better way of describing it than spiritual because spiritual like it. so it's got the baggage of all the male based oppressive religions. Mm -hmm. You know, every one of them has been so oppressive in its yeah. environment in their history yeah. and, uh, you know, and have committed appalling atrocities, every religion. So, I, you know, I, I, I can't sign up to that. Yeah. And I don't really want to use the same terminology. Good point. That's, uh, you know, when you explain all this, I'm thinking about, I think that's when James are at their best, there are a few bands that can be as visceral and emotive, but also as empowering and uplifting as James can be when you're at your best. And I would, I would guess that's what fans like me love about you is the power you guys wield to do that to our spirits our technologies, whatever you want to, you know, the, the power to uplift, that's the magic of James. And in just these 45 minutes or whatever, I can absolutely see that it's no accident that this is a, this is a 
quest that you are on in your life, in the output you put into the world, it's all to uplift and it, to inspire and to find peace. It's so blatantly obvious now. <laughs> You're not a pop group. You're a source for inspiration. You know what I'm saying? It's different. That's, you know, that's the, that's the intent. Yeah. And each band member would phrase it completely differently and have their own psyche would interpret it in a different way. But we all, we're all doing the same thing. And, and we're trying to get into the zone on stage when we play live. And then if we do and we're open to the audience, then, then it becomes a ride and it becomes a feedback loop with an audience. That's why we change the set list every night because it takes a different key every night. You can't expect one key to fit the lock in Barcelona on a Wednesday night that worked in San Francisco on a Monday night. You have to, you know, an hour before the gig, I will meditate and try and work out what are the appropriate songs for that evening that that you can feel might take us into the zone and take the audience with us. And then the audience become the amplifiers. They, they, they send us even further. It's like a complete feedback loop. And so that's why we change the set every night. It, we, we, it, it's to keep this thing as a living entity that is greater than the sum of its parts mm -hmm. and that has a life separate to me, to the band members, to the audience. There's a third thing that happens in, in the good gigs. Yeah. And we've, we've been going so long now that most of the gigs are good, are at yeah. that level sometimes we can't get there um but it's it's rare and we can do other things when we can't get there so we don't we don't panic <laughs> amazing amazing um by the way it's, if you can't oh go sorry. ahead what were you gonna say it's, it's just all about intent yeah two people can be doing exactly the same thing but if the intent is different it makes all the difference it's true you mentioned Whiplash a minute ago. I've always had some questions about that album because I like that album a lot. In fact, Avalanche is one of my favorite James songs. I know that's a deeper cut, but that album came on the heels of Laid, which was sort of your big breakthrough. 
and it's got a really odd cover. And uh, I wonder how was that album received? Did you get any pushback about the Asian whatever person drag model or whatever it is that's on the cover of Whiplash? What was you know what was the, what was the response to that? The cover of Whiplash uh, is of my best friend, who is this amazing gay ice skater who created those masks, mm. those characters, and did a one-man, one-person show on ice mm. um, that was fantastic. That sounds so interesting. Oh, he's, and he's one of the greatest ice skaters I've, I've ever seen. And he would spin and then smash onto the ice and um, purposely. And uh -huh. we used him, actually, I, I used him. I flew him over. He did the video for Down to the Sea, if you want to see him. Okay. So it was a kind of ambiguous sexuality, mm -hmm. amorphous, is, and that's not a human face. That's a mask. But I many figured. People, many people actually thought it was a human being. He makes he makes the masks, you know. He's an okay. amazing artist. So it kind of it was pretty came that way, you know. Yeah. It's like look at this stuff, and the band loved it, and so everyone went, yeah, let's let's use him as a sleeve. Let's get him. That's great. Let's do a shoot, and we uh -huh. did that, shoot, and everyone loved it. So we went for it. Okay. wasn't wasn't a big conscious theory behind it. Again, it's like leaving things to chance. Yeah, you know, Brian Eno has that great card in his oblique strategies honor thy error as a hidden intention we live by that we live by that before we even read that so so um you know that that was where that came from yeah. I, i'm gonna let you into a secret i've never ever told anybody mm -hmm. and because i never want to ruin someone's enjoyment yeah but avalanche is probably my least favorite change <laughs> of all not just of, of the all. album but of all oh and and people often will tweet me going, Avalanche is one of my favorite James. Uh -huh. I'm never gonna I don't wanna pour I don't wanna, you know, right. yuck someone's yum <laughs> right. and pour water on their fire. And and so I never ever admit to anything. But the fact you mentioned Avalanche, I thought I had to kind of say that. I'm glad you did. That's and, so and, great. And I love that. I love that, you know, yeah. it was because there was something in that song I didn't get lyrically and i didn't think we quite captured and it was really frustrating because i could hear what we wanted from that song and i didn't think we caught it mm. and other, other band members will totally disagree and love it so mm. but hey you know mm. that's what's the beauty of, of mm. having so many songs is that some people's favorites are yeah you know, yeah um okay i had to I, I, as I said, I threw this out to some friends and some Patreon members and they came back with some questions. Um, one of them, Max Shep So two of them specifically, Tim Rouse, uh, told me to tell you just, he just thinks you're a legend and he loves you very much. And, uh, Matt Sheffield wanted me to quote your words back to you saying that, um, you have shifted my heart's tectonic plates. So People, we have many listeners who love you very much, as do I. Um, Sheffield, Matt Sheffield wanted to know what some of your favorite more recent songs to sing live are. Ah, uh, good question. Uh, what's it all about from the last album? Call 
like the minute we wrote that, uh, I think I was, uh, yeah, with the, it was like, oh, this is going to be kill alive. And it is uh, heads um, because of the drums are so utterly bonkers. I was working on both those two demos myself and we had this young engineer called Benny Giles and I worked with him for two weeks just using him as a, a, a he was doing basic edits that I was asking him to do and I said Benny do you ever do rhythms on tracks and he said yeah and I said um, okay and I, I said, I want you to have a go at this song. And I handed him heads, uh, my demo. I said, I want you, you know, and, and locked him in a room. And all he had was like knives and forks, an iPhone and a table. And he would record his iPhone and drop it on the floor. And he'd hit knives and forks against the wall. And after about five hours, he came out and put the headphones on me and played me back the song with his new rhythm pattern. And I burst out laughing uh, in absolute joy. Yeah. And, I, and then I grabbed each band member and we put the headphones on, each one in turn, while the others would watch. Mm -hmm. And they would listen to it and they would all burst out laughing at exactly the same point in the song no because way. it was so ridiculous <laughs> and funny and there's nothing we would ever do. Yeah. And, and so thrilling because of that. And so Heads Live is, is a real... Nice. we get a lot you know we've got we had to get a second drummer uh on stage yeah. to play those songs wild uh, that whole record so now we have a, a great well, we had two women who interchanged they're in relationship uh oh great and one of them couldn't do some gigs so she said well can my partner come and <laughs> play your other gigs and we really liked her so she plays it so what when one of them can play we we get one or the other basically it's beautiful and they're beautiful. both can drum and they can both play guitar and they can both sing. Excellent. Uh, and so on heads, we have a number of people drumming various points. I've seen you guys live a couple of times. Um, and the last time was with the psychedelic furs. I live in Denver and you guys came through, uh, yeah. such a great show. I, I noticed during that show that the song many faces has become sort of, and I wondered if this, you say you you change up your set list every night, which doesn't surprise me at all, but, I wondered if the song Many Faces lends itself to such a crowd, uh, anthemic kind of, you know, call and response. There's only love 
And uh, I wondered if that's, you know, do you make it a point? I know maybe the rest of the set list will be what it is, but is Many Faces the new, like, closer? Or the is that the song that's got to be a staple? Or does it not mean anything? And I just happened to catch it on one of those nights. No, it, it wrote itself into the set in a very specific way. Um, before we'd released that song, we started playing it. And the first time we played it in a sound check um, to, a, to a small audience of 50 people, VIP audience, I was singing it. And this person, this guy on the front row just burst into tears. Mm. And it was like, whoa. And, yeah. and we played it that night in Scotland. And we'd never played it, hadn't been released. And the audience just started singing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Uh, The audience started singing it back to us and they sang for maybe three minutes. And for that to happen to an unreleased song, it had only ever happened to sit down before. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the audience left the gig that night, they left singing that song, even though that song was in the middle of the set, they had somehow remembered it. Um, And it was, it was like, Oh, okay. This this is a special song. Yeah. So it became on that tour. Um, I can't see playing it as much on the next tour because it needs a rest because we couldn't, it was hard to drop because of that response. And also it was probably the most effective, like on that record, I had some angry Trump songs, but Many Faces was the inclusive song. It was yes. the song that, went for the, a more pas- positive antidote to Trump. And, and I, I'll stand by the angry songs too, but in a way, Many Faces is probably the most more effective as a response. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. And it was, I hadn't heard it when I saw you guys with the furs. And so I thought, well, this is special. <laughs> this is becoming kind of that, this is the thing that's going to, like you said, it's going to inspire the crowd and it's going to get them going. Um we should talk about uh, I, I laid well, it's, and, it's, oh, it's the ahead. difference between being talking about our differences and talking about our similarities, isn't Perfectly it? Perfectly really? said. Yes, and that's it. Is uh, you know everybody belongs here. Yeah, it's, it's an inclusivity song. That's it. And, and it's hard to write inclusivity songs without them being corny. So they have to they have to really come from the individual. If you if you try and write a universal song, you'll end up with a kind of we are the world yeah. thing mm-hmm. that that doesn't feel authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you write from the individual and you happen to stumble upon mm-hmm. a universal song, they they tend to be the ones that work, you know. Yeah, yeah. you nailed it on that one. Um, we could, we should we got to talk about Laid for a little while.
Um, I got to ask one late song question. Did you, did that song, was it born out of the same jamming and uh, astral planing that the rest of the songs came from? They all are. Uh, yeah. Every single song we've ever written comes from jamming. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was, we didn't present that to Brian Eno as even being on the album. Mm. Um, and Brian heard it and went, that's great. Mm-hmm. And we were like, Really? And he went, yeah. And we tried replaying uh, from the original jam and it wasn't as good. So that's the, that's the original jam cut up and used as is. Um, and that's why it sounds so lo-fi because mm-hmm. it recorded really badly because mm-hmm. um, we couldn't capture the same spirit when we tried to re-record it. I believe it. Um, so yeah, what was the relationship with, with Eno and those songs? Did you go to him like you did with youth with everything thought out already? Because I listened to a song like knuckle too far, which to me is such an Eno influenced song. And I'm imagining you all in the room or at least creating this thing in tandem, but is that not the case? Eno's a different game. You know, we made five albums with Brian and we approached him on our first album, Stutter, in 1983. (laughs) Um, And he finally responded, uh, like, in 1993. (laughs) Um, when he heard Born of Frustration, actually, uh, in France on radio and went, oh, I like that band. And then I sent him some really crap demos. Jane, we're famous for doing really bad demos for people because um, we used to record on a tape recorder and just think, well, that's good enough. And, and they just have to live with it. And, um, and uh, I sent him these demos with a handwritten letter and about a week later, I get a phone call at about nine in the morning and I wake up and it's Brian. 
and we have an hour and a half conversation about perfume, pornography, music, quantum physics. And at the end of it, he says, um, those demos you sent me, <laughs> he said, those aren't the lyrics, are they? I said, no, they're phonetic sounds. We, we improvise. He said, oh, that song sometimes. Have you done the words to that yet? said no he said i very much want to make this record um so let's make this record together and so brian came and it was another dimension and he um he wanted to start work at like 9 30 in the morning and we were lazy musicians who weren't ready to work till 12 so we gave him all the cassettes of our jams hundreds of hours of unlistenable noise because seven people playing in a room recorded on a fucking Walkman sounds like a whale dying or giving birth. You know, it just, it, it does not sound good. No right. one can sit and listen to that shit. Right, right. Except band members who know what they're listening, you know, me and a couple of guys who know what exactly what you're listening for to hear where the song is. And Brian, God bless him, would come in at 9.30 in the morning, put on his headphones, make meticulous notes and sit there for hours listening to 100 hours of our jams. No one had ever contemplated doing that. We'd never contemplated letting, letting anyone do that. Yeah, yeah. And he would go, now, there's this thing that happens at five hours, 56 minutes. And it only happens for 30 seconds. And I think it's quite, quite wonderful. And he'd play us back this tiny bit that we'd missed completely. Uh -huh. And he'd say, this will make a great song and make us play it in the room. No one had done this. And it was unlistenable. And he would then, we'd play it back. We'd try and reproduce it in the room. And he'd go, no, no, the bass drum should be doing this pattern. And he'd uh -huh. do a completely different pattern to the pattern the drummer was doing, but was right. You could hear it on the, on the cassette, but nobody could hear it on the cassette. And that song turned into Dream Thrum. She dreamt the scene the night 
30 seconds and we would have missed it yeah um and it was just he and he did that on the first two or three days of working with him and he so won our respect literally within two days we were like he can do whatever he wants <laughs> it's like this is just like we'd we'd never seen anything like he yeah. he lived up to all our dreams of what brian and might be like to work with and we that's ended great. up doing five albums with him. Yeah. And, that's cool. and, he, and he has said we're the, his, the band he's most enjoyed working with. Really? <laughs> See, it, uh, I, remember, I remember being on a plane in the mid-90s and back when there would be like movies and TV shows and commercials. And I think it was a Hilton Hotel commercial that had Born of Frustration on it. And uh, I just remember at that moment thinking oh, somebody else in the world loves this song as much as I do. Because I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I didn't know anyone who knew James and or that song specifically. And when you talk about Eno, and I think Eno could have worked with anyone in the world that he wanted to at that time. And he worked with you guys. And yeah. it's validation for you and to the fans that the people who know what's going on appreciate James, you know? So that's, uh, and he was able to sort of, in a lot of ways, bring out some really good, I don't want to say the best, because that would mean that anything he did with you is the best. That's not what I'm saying, but he brought Brian, up. Brian's ability was whoever he worked with, he could bring out the best in them. Mm -hmm. So whether that be you two talking heads, mm -hmm. uh, Devo, you know, yeah. it's like, the list and Bowie, I mean, it was, and it's because he has this incredible investigative mind. He never sees a problem. He always sees an adventure mm -hmm. and it's catching. It's infectious. Mm -hmm. Like it should be bottled. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was thrilling. Um, what was I going to? I was going to boast about something. I forgot what it was. <laughs> Please <laughs> boast. But it was, it was, oh yeah, it was like, you know, Flea would say to me, how have you got to work with Brian? We've been approaching him for years and we can't get him to work with us. And then Michael Stipe would say, how have you been working with him? We've been trying for years and he won't work with us. And it would be like all these huge bands who sold yeah. way more than us. Mm -hmm. Of course, everybody <laughs> wanted to work with Brian Eno and we got to make five albums and he still helped us on the last few records. You know, wow. he, uh, he, he, like there's a, every, every so often we get stuck with a song, I give him a call and go, Brian, we got this problem with this song. He never sees it as a problem. Yeah. And, with the, you know, and he'll put something on it that just immediately the song makes sense. You just go, that was it. That's it. He, well, he's, he's like a doctor, you know, I could say, yes, like a doctor. Exactly. That's it. Script doctor. Um, well, I should let you go, Tim. I, I have one obvious question. You've probably been asked a million times. Who is James? Was James? that some buddy of yours? Who's James? the James of James? No, the James, James is 
this an individual and is this multi-phrenic strange individual of many parts um who has a a love of life and is on a quest that's it and sometimes tilts at windmills <laughs> and other times actually gets to ride the unicorn yeah tim um I love you very much. Thank you for talking with me. And, you know, it's so interesting. After talking with you like this, I just, I want you to know that your mission in life is succeeding with some people <laughs> because it's, uh, it's making many millions of people's lives better, including mine. And I'm grateful to you for that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for having that effect on my life. It's made well, it better. We just feel completely blessed to be able to do what we do for 40 years and still be able to actually financially exist. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I spent the whole weekend, like video budgets now have become nothing. And, and we had like $700 to make a video for this new single. And I, I coerced this sweet young designer over the last two, three days to, it was meant to be just what they call a visualizer. Mm -hmm. And instead we spent two days and nights, you know, trying to cheat a video on $700. And, um, and it's like, it's our passion. It's what we do and it's what we love. And, yeah. um, and, and we get it to be met and to be heard. And that is, you know, it's our, it's our blessing. It's yeah. thank you. Thank well, you for, for, for giving us the, the, the ability to do that and to continue doing that. Absolutely. It's made my life better. Uh, thank you, Tim. All right, there you have it, Tim Booth. Again, ask yourself this. After listening to this conversation, is Tim Booth a pop singer? I say the answer is no. I think Tim Booth uses music as a tool to transcend people, to uplift and to take them somewhere else. And the band is united in that artistic mission. And they bring peace. They're, they, they try their damnedest to bring peace and joy and love and some levity to the listeners, to the people who love them, and let them try and do this. And I'm grateful to them for that. This is bigger and more important than pop music. That's not what this is. It's something else. It's a higher plane. It's art that takes you somewhere. I get it now, you know? I, hopefully you're feeling what I'm feeling from this conversation. Uh, I want to close it out with one more from All the Colors of You. This is Exist, and it's spelled X-Y-S-T. I love this album. It'll be out this Friday, the 4th. I hope everyone will check it out. Stream it, buy it, for, by all means. But do what you got to do because this album is great, all right? And thank you again, Tim, for doing this with me. That meant a lot. Our guest next week has a is a similar kind of situation. All right. Started out kind of awkwardly in the 80s as the front man of his band, also in the UK, uh, but quickly evolved, just as James did, and eventually found their sort of commercial peak in the mid-90s. Well, they also have a brand new album out that is also excellent. And this particular frontman is one of the greatest songwriters ever. 
And so, anyway, you're going to love this conversation that's coming up next week. As I've mentioned several times, we are in the throes of a massive winning streak right now with all the people that we get to hear from in here. So I hope you're enjoying it because I am loving this. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for doing this with me. Thank you, buddy, for everything. And I hope everyone got a chance to listen to that uh, bonus episode we put out last week with director John Scheinfeld, who directed that Sergio Mendez documentary. A really, really interesting conversation, not just about Sergio, but about the other documentaries he's made about people like the Bee Gees and Harry Nilsson and John Coltrane and John Lennon and a bunch of other people. All right? You guys know how know by now you can find us on Facebook, you can like our page, you can send us a message on there, you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at the Hustle Pod. Okay? Thank you everybody. We'll be back next Tuesday with another incredible interview. We love you. Don't forget your one.